Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. You get 15% off your first order of electrolytes and fuel with the code OA22 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week we bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. I am joined again this week and in future weeks by my new co-host, official new co-host, Coach Chris Palfreyman. Chris, great to see you and welcome on board officially. Yeah, thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's... uh, you, you got enough nice messages through. We got enough nice emails. Get that guy, Chris, back on. He's great. We miss having you to have someone to talk to. So, yeah, in all seriousness, mate, you've done, uh, you've done a fantastic job on the shows you've been on so far, and I'm very much looking forward to having you on to talk triathlon over the coming weeks, months, and years. And what a better week to kick it off than to have you on to start talking about Kona, the Ironman World Championships out in Hawaii this weekend. What... A weekend of racing. Well, I suppose it's not a weekend, is it? It's Thursday through Saturday. Where should we start? Should we start with the ladies' race or the men's race, Chris? Um, let's start with the ladies because they were first. Yeah. Well, we have to say, I don't know whether anybody called Chelsea Sodaro to be the women's winner. One previous Ironman in her bag. Every, well, it's a, maybe the theme of the Kona weekend. This everyone says the rookie can't win in Kona. What an unbelievable performance from Chelsea Sodaro there. And that's before you even take into account the fact that she's just been on maternity leave and she's only back racing after having had her child 18 months ago. That adds a whole extra level of awesome into it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Imagine what her kind of lifestyle is like with an 18, 18 month old baby and her partner, I believe, is a full time firefighter. That's right. Full time chasing Kona Dream professional. That is a serious, um, seriously busy household. Yeah. He pulled out. Yeah. One of the performances of Kona of all time, I believe. It really yeah. was a smooth, incredibly well put together race. No fluke in there at all. And I think the problem with people like us not mentioning her pre-race was that there wasn't that much to mention in terms of her Ironman racing. You know, with only one race in the bag, it's hard for everyone to kind of put her at the top as one of the, of the main contenders. But that was it. Now she'll be a contender for the rest of her career, I believe. That's yeah, it. no right. question. And, and And she won that with one of the best runs of all time in Kona as well. There's no... There's no like question mark over, well, other people didn't perform well or the favorites kind of faded out of the picture. She ran a 251.44 on that course. And to put it in perspective, I don't think there was anybody within seven minutes of her. I think I read a comment from Anne Haug afterwards that just said, I blew myself up trying to run her down. It wasn't that, it wasn't that, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't try. I went out at the pace I thought I needed to do to do it and just couldn't hold it. It's one a day that an athlete, the standard of Anne Haug, can't hold the run together. To put a 251 together is is astonishing. And I, I mean, I don't have a specific insight on what happened to Daniela on that day, but I believe it's it's a similar theme. She had to chase so hard on the bike. Mm. Incredible bike split out that it would have been an unbelievable run off the bike to, to take the win. And that, that leads on to Lucy's performance. I think... Yeah. Out an unbelievable performance. We all know what she's been through over the past year with her injuries. And to be able to hold off the likes of Annie Haug on your tail that's 30 seconds back for a long period of time and to not either psychologically crack or have an engine failure in the last 10K is amazing. But those ladies were essentially in a different race. Chelsea mm. was doing her own thing. She was walking the A stations, taking her time. It was meticulous. It was a bit of a, a Norwegian performance, wasn't it? Mm. Never looked to falter. Um, and she backed herself and she, she did her own thing. And that was seriously impressive to do that in your first first outing. So pleased for her. I'm so pleased that that the body held together. We could we could see in her face the joy that she actually managed to complete when she raced at um was it Almir where she won the Longest. World ITU Championships. 
when on a comeback from injury. And let's not forget, like fractured leg, stress fracture. It's it's a it's a big, serious, potentially catastrophic and career-ending injury that she's come back from. There were certainly doubts in my mind, Chris. I don't know about you, but I was watching and thinking, well, okay, she's put together her usual amazing swim bike combo, but that counts for nothing until we get to the 35k mark on the run. And she could well hold on for the win or second, or she could just have to drop out and be nowhere to see her keep on going and put a, a 302 together, I think is from memory. I think it's not far away from, if not the fastest she's ever run in Kona. I don't think she's ever been under three hours in Kona. I might be wrong on that. I'd have to check the numbers, but it's certainly a, you know, a very, very strong run performance relative to how she usually goes. Yeah. And again, she, she essentially had no help on the bike. Hmm. She was out there on her own. I'm waiting for the day that she's able to team up with someone on the bike and at least share a portion of the race um, on each other's wheels. That would make a huge difference to her, I think. Yeah. Well, she had a bit of company this year for once, didn't she? She had Fenella up riding with her for a while, and I think... Sure, how much Fenella was able to contribute. Yeah, that's that's probably true. It's probably nice just to have someone around you. <laughs> but it was super nice to see Fenella's helmet covered in precision fuel and hydration stick as I was I was cheering that on. And I don't know if you noticed this, but there was loads of PFNH water bottles. Yeah. The subtly unbranded but branded water bottle with their multiple colored stripes around the bottle. I don't know what the team out there had done to to get those onto people's bikes, but fair play to them. That was some fantastic guerrilla marketing. And Fenella had an absolutely amazing race. I think that's a, a real breakthrough for her. And at one point she actually, she, she got off the bike in the top three or four, didn't she? She might've been third off the bike and she actually passed Daniela Reef on the run to run herself into second or third on the road which again, you've got to be thinking in Fenella's mind, I've had a storming swim and bike. Let's see how the run goes. To pass Daniela Reef at that point on the run must be amazing. Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, really, really impressive. And I thought it was just, you know, a great advert for the sport. I thought it was exciting. I thought there were, you know, new names that people hadn't necessarily predicted, which is always good. That's why we watch it, because we want to see, we want to see these breakthrough performances in, in both races. Yeah. yeah, so overall results, Sam, we had Chelsea Starrow took the win. She put together a 54-minute swim, 442 bike, and a 251 run to take the win in 833. Wow, a lot of performance. Mm. Lucy Charles Barkley in second uh, with an 841, holding off Anne Haug in third with 842. Um, so again, like hats off to Lucy, having the, having the resolve to hold off Anne Haug on the run just amazing now we talked our, our pre-race our pre-race predictions chris we talked a lot about laura phillip um, she was in fourth in 850 um she got pinged for a penalty now i don't know whether it was a whether they're calling it a drafting penalty or whether they're calling it a positional penalty these days she still rode 445 even with a five minute stand down penalty so without that she would have been, I mean, I know you can't say this, but she would have been well up there with Daniela Reef, the fastest bike split, only a couple of minutes behind her. And would that have changed the race? Would that have put her right up in and amongst it coming off the bike? And would she have been able to produce a faster run split than that? I don't know, but it, it breaks my heart when you see, there's two ways of looking at it, I guess, aren't there? If that penalty is legitimate, it's great that he got given out. If it's been, as we've read I don't think it's ever in an athlete's eyes a fair penalty, is it, that's given. But I'd, I'd have loved to have seen her up in the mix in the top three or four on the run, which didn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're right. It's um, I've never heard of an athlete say it was a fair penalty. <laughs> Where the issue is, isn't it? It's um, it's slightly subjective. Mm. We're eyeballing what 12 metres is and... When you're in the TT position with the visor and you're putting out 300 watts or whatever they're putting out, it's very hard to actually stick to that 12. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 14 meters. Um, I just feel really sorry. I, I feel really sorry when it happened in the men's race a lot as well. A lot, a lot of the guys got pinned. Yeah. yeah. Is it athlete mistake? Is it that they're actually, you know, are the referees clamping down a little bit? Which I think is a good thing, but it's going to take some adaptation, isn't it, from from the racing dynamic for people to, to actually 
give that extra bit of space. But the problem is, as soon as you give that extra few meters, someone else is going to be able to slot in and then you have to slot back. And if that keeps happening, you're, you're mm. on the dynamic. Yeah, mm. really, really, tr really tricky. Yeah. It would be interesting. I know we, I've read a lot in the press about um, this race ranger system where essentially other athletes have a little little Garmin radar style system under the saddle and it, it just alerts people if they get within that 12 meter draft zone because you know there's two ways around this aren't there we don't want blatant cheating but it can also be pretty difficult to know whether you're in that whether you're in that zone or not it would take away that subjectivity i think it would be a relatively small financial investment for my man to get all the pros to be using those things I don't know whether everybody's going to get to the stage where it's in all, all age group races as well, but certainly for the pros where it's the difference between somebody possibly being on the podium and somebody being nowhere and going home with a 10 grand bill, let alone no winnings from Kona. I think that would really help people out. Um, I remember yeah. watching at one point in the men's race, um, just the concertina effect that happened as they went up one of the drags and you could see that, the rider on the front of the train noticeably slows down, gets out of the saddle, starts to work up the hill, and the rider behind him sits up and almost rides into the back of him without without pedaling with freewheeling. Now, it's clearly not trying to enter the draft zone. There's no intention for him to go up and pass the athlete. But technically, he he or she should have done at this point. They should have been around and kept on going, and it's, it's hard, isn't it? We all know what it's like when we get into the hills. And I don't know whether a 20-meter draft zone is a solution. Mm. I, personally, I lean towards the 20 meter for other reasons to actually get rid of drafting. But I think that there would still be as many penalties and it's even harder, I think, visually to um, to eyeball 20 meters than, than 12. Yeah. Then, you know, we're talking about stretching out the, the line even longer. And to be honest, I think the more we can keep the age group race similar to the pro race, so then we're able to compare slightly compare apples with apples yeah, yeah. even though there are yeah. different dynamics I, I do think it's great that we're in, in the same race with the same rules essentially um, yeah so yeah that, that's another one for another day i guess i guess so um now other other notable performances then fenella from great britain fenella language held on really well to finish sixth like let's tip our cap for that performance right there she swam 51 54 um, so great swim, 4.43 on the bike, and she faded a bit on the run with a 3.16, but 8.56 overall breaks, nine hours in Kona, finishes sixth place. So just a brilliant, brilliant, another step up from her in her, because it's not that long ago she wasn't even racing pro, you know, so we've got we've to think she's another athlete who is young and she's on the up. Her athletic career is still in the early days, as it were. Um, Daniela Reef faded to eighth place with a 3.23 marathon. Um, shout out to Laura Siddle in 10th and Susie Cheatham in 11th as well there, 9.07 and 9.11. Great to see Susie making sort of more of a comeback in inverted commas and great to see Laura up there racing really well and finishing in the top 10. Ruth Assel was in 14th place. Um and Chantal Santier was down in 29th. So, yeah, great racing there on the ladies' side. Anything else you want to mention with ladies' re results before we move over? No, just a huge thank you to all the ladies for putting on such, a, um, such an exciting race. And uh, I look forward to next year. It looked like the two-day separate the women onto a different day from the men thing there's positives and negatives to both these things. I love that they get their own race. I love that they get their own spotlight. I read some commentary that said, I hope they swap it around. So the men race on the Thursday and the women race on the Saturday and you get kind of a, a swap from year to year of the, of the top billing. I think that's a, that's a fair comment to consider. Absolutely. I think it, for me, it made more of the women's race. It wasn't constantly cutting back and forth between the two. Because I think one criticism I've had in the past is I felt as though the women's race has played second fiddle in the coverage to the men's race. You definitely had a step up in Ironman's coverage this year. I thought they had many, many more cameras out on the course. You got a really good feel, I thought, for who was where, 
they kept swapping between the different athletes. I, I think we've got a, you know, after years of criticism of their coverage, it's got better year on year, especially the last four or five years or so. And this year was the first time I've sat back and thought, do you know what? This is, this is totally watchable as a swapping between people. It's not just endless shots of the same person for two hours in a row. Yeah. And also I believe the commentators are upping their game, um, getting yep. more voices, getting more experts to talk about different aspects of the race. And it feels less like a fun YouTube channel watch. As right. Now it's, it feels more serious and it feels as if it's going more towards the professionalism that something like the Tour de France has in terms of the content that they're putting out. Um, and I always used to hear this argument of something like Iron Man is never going to be watchable because it takes seven, eight, nine hours. Um, but I, I don't agree with that. Look at the Tour de France. It's two, three weeks of six hours a day. Look at test match cricket, five yeah. days cricket where, you know, arguably less happens. And I'm a huge fan of test cricket, a huge amount, huge fan of cycling. And I do believe that if we get the right coverage, I, do, I think it's a very watchable sport. And not only for triathlete obsessed people but i think it can break through into something slightly outside of triathlon as well where we're just amazed at what these people can do and we you know more and more people are watching marathons people are obsessed with what Elliot kipchoge is putting out and a marathon is very watchable now whereas five years ago six years ago i don't think many people were watching a standalone marathon and being that interested because barriers are being broken and people are amazed that we can run, or well, I say we, some people can, or one person can run close to <laughs> two hours or sub two hours. Suddenly it makes it very watchable. And I think that Ironman is, you know, give it another 10 years and people will sit up and appreciate what what these athletes are putting out. Because it, it, yeah. it really yeah. is. Something I think made a big difference was, um, and hands up, I didn't get all the way through either of the races. I went to bed at midnight both nights because I'm getting old now. But when I woke up the next morning and I, I put the, the coverage back on from the point I'd paused it at, you could scroll forwards and they had at the bottom of the screen the time gaps between the top three, the top four, or four through six or whatever they were looking at. And there were even some overhead drone shots and and I assume they're drone shots, not helicopter shots these days, showing where the athletes were on the road relative to each other as, you know, Gustav was catching up with Sam Laidlow, for example. I thought that was brilliantly done because it allowed you in real time to see how the gaps were changing. And that's all it needed to build that narrative of what's happening with between this athlete and this athlete, who's catching who, who's moving away. Because there was a time there, we'll come to talk about the men's race, but a few years ago watching that, you'd have had no idea what the time gap was between whether Christian and Gustav are catching Sam Laidlow at the front or not. It played out really well, dramatically, I thought, on the screen. And that's all it took. Mm. Yeah, I've watched um, Iron Man's in the past where it literally just focuses on the leader. And that, that doesn't create a narrative. It doesn't, it doesn't entice the watcher to, to invest another three hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well done to, to the media team on that. Very good. Yeah, it was good. Right. So moving on to the men's race, and we'll, we'll talk a bit about how the commentary impacted on this as we go along. Did we see the performance of all time in Kona that didn't get to win Kona mm. with with young Sam Laidlow. Just, <laughs> I mean, what a performance. What a performance from the kid. And he was unbreakable. He yeah. didn't look like he was fading. It, it took a massive attack from one of the best athletes potentially of all time um, to run the fastest ever marathon on that course to catch Sam. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not as if he, he certainly wasn't given that second place. And it, it, in different conditions on a different day, I believe Sam could have won that. Yeah. Um, and I think a major part of it for him to, to not win it was actually in the swim. Sam is very capable of putting a two minute gap into the likes of Gustav Eden. And if the swim dynamic was different, if the swell was different, and, you know, I think the commentators made a good point of, on the way back, so on the turnaround of the swim back to shore, it really pushed the athletes um, onto each other's feet. So there was a big 
Um, like it's a quartering swell from behind, as it were. Yeah. Which makes it incredibly hard to break up. It's kind of like cycling in a tailwind. Yeah. And so on a different day, if, you know, two or three of the strongest swimmers were able to make that big break, I, I do believe that Sam can put in a, a two minute, or even if you get those two guys in the pool to do a 400 meter or a 3.8K swim, I do believe that there's a two minute gap. And Sam yeah. I believe it would be able to do that without a huge cost. Um, so, yeah, it must be so frustrating for for like to Sam to think that, you know, you put Brownlee in the race, you put um, Jan Fredino in the race, and they all put in a massive swim, get those yeah. from a two minute gap soon, soon appears. So, yeah, what, what a performance. Um, the bike, unbelievable. You know, he did the fastest ever bike against a time <laughs> that people were saying that's going to stand for a long time. Yeah. who was out there to put the course record you know a few years back what um, was it that um what was it that camworth road what was the previous bike course record was it 409 409 off the top of my head yeah. yeah and sam here has gone 404 so five minutes faster than someone i'm not saying that camworth wasn't out to win the race overall i think he probably would claim that he was that year yeah but I think my suspicion is he was happy to walk away from that race with the bike course record and be known as, in inverted commas, the best the best cyclist in the sport. And and watching the watching the coverage, we were fully expecting Camworth to close the gap to the front. The front. We were actually having commentary, weren't we, between us on a WhatsApp group saying, "This is awesome. Joe Skipper's just going to get ridden up to the front pack. He's been really smart. He's riding with Camworth." That's exactly where you need to be. Welcome to the front of the race. And it just didn't happen. It just it, Sam did not fade on the bike horse. And if anything, put more time into them later on than anyone was expecting. It's so brave. Such a brave athlete to, to do that in Kona. I love yeah. it. That is racing at its best. It really is. He must have been on the front for 110 of those 112 miles, mustn't yeah. he? He must yeah. have... He must have done that and then ran all the way to the 35k mark on the run on his own. Yeah. Yeah. So, so long time listeners to the show will have heard this interview, but I'm going to encourage you to go back if you haven't heard it. I was introduced to Sam three years ago, I think it was now, at he won the Lakesman full distance race in the UK. So, a non, non major branded race, but very well put on. And Sam ran from memory a 248. And I remember a mate texting me and saying something to the effect of the organizers must have really buggered up measuring the course on this one for, for this kid we've never heard of to go 248. It must be four miles short. And another mate of mine who raced it said, it might have been a little bit short, Rob, but if it was, it was 500 meters. It wasn't 5K short. This was legitimately one of the best runs you've ever seen from someone you've never heard of from a 20-year-old at the time in his in his first Ironman. So the guy's always had potential, but lots of guys have got potential to translate that onto the world stage as, as Sam has done. Just an amazing performance. We've seen, we've seen glimmers of this, hasn't we? He was, he was off the front in St. George and he faded on the run there. He's had, um, I, I think he, he was, I'd, I'd be surprised if he wasn't goaded into the kind of comments he made on the PTO coverage of the the Collins Cup because the lad that I met and the interview that I did he's always come across as quite a quiet humble and they almost made him into be a sort of Muhammad Ali kind of character for the coverage of that I don't think that that's really him I I think somebody behind the press machine there was going we need these big talking heads to say x y and z about each other and and when he got beaten by Sam Long and Lionel Sanders there there were a lot of people sort of saying well humble pie time kind of thing but i don't think that that's him as a personality he's a he's a sweet kid and yeah what well, i just hope that that doesn't taint any of this for him for sure i think he's going to ride that wave pretty well and i think since his kind of performance he's he's come across really well um yes agreed i'm um I'm half French, so I, I speak fluent French. And so I've been listening to some of his interviews 
in French, and he comes across totally differently. There's there's no brashness. There's no um, fight talk. There's none of this. He's actually in in French at least, and I don't know whether it's a conscious effort on his part, but he's coming across incredibly humble, um, mm. and it seems really popular in France. Um, so yeah, I hope that you know he sticks to his own values, and I think now he's in a position to. I don't think now he's fighting for any stage. Um, his performance there is going to carry him through the next few years, and people will always see him as a contender now in whatever race he does, whatever distance. And he's quite open. He'll say that his tactic of racing sometimes will lead to blowups, and he's not guaranteed to be off the front every single time and get to the finish line. But he's also quite honest in saying that that's the way he races and that's the way he wants to win a race. So. Whatever we get with Sam, we know it's going to be exciting. It's it's all in, and yeah. I think that's quite exciting. And this yeah. is, you know, as coaches, this is what we don't want our athletes to be doing or thinking. <laughs> we want our athletes to go in thinking the race doesn't start until the last ten k, and look after yourselves and all this stuff. Whereas, you know, Sam's dad, who's his coach, must be ripping his hair out half the time when he's going off the front. You know, going extremely hard, hoping that he can hold on. Um, so, yeah, massive congratulations to him. But to all the age group listening, um, let's not try and copy that racing model. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prove that you can perform within your limits before you try to push your limits. I think that's that's what we'll say. Well, let's talk about the overall results then, and then we'll talk about how this race played out. We had the win for Gustav Eden. He took this out in seven forty twenty three. What? 7.40.23, swam 48.22. So he had an excellent swim. There was one big pack and he was in that front pack. And we'll come back to that, I think, later because that's that's really key, as you've said. He biked 4.11 and he ran 2.36. And I think, interestingly, if you look at his run splits, he was running 2.36 pace from the very first mile. He was ticking off six-minute miles or five. 55 miles right from the very first mile there was a moment where max newman came past him and christian looking very excited indeed and that they weren't interested they kind of looked at each other and shrugged and we'll look at our watch and we'll carry on going the same pace we're doing we we hoped for didn't we a gustav and christian side by side iron war what none of us could have predicted was that Sam Laidlow would have a six-minute lead off the bike at this point, and he wouldn't relinquish very much of it at all. And I think even at the halfway point, they'd only made up three of the six minutes on him. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, okay, he might he might blow up at 35K, but it doesn't look like he's going to. And if he doesn't, this is coming down to a, this is coming down to a run for the finish from Polani Hill. And and pretty much it didn't play out very differently than that. I think it looks like Christian Christian blew up a little bit earlier on coming out of the energy lab. I think he made a move there and then faded, didn't he? Yeah, I think that's right. It doesn't look like Christian had his best day, which is yeah, agreed. worrying for the athletes, you know, next year thinking, okay, that was Christian on a average to poor day um, for whatever reason. And it just goes to show it doesn't matter how fit, strong you are. It doesn't matter what your CV says. Even if your prep was amazing in the lead up, you're just not guaranteed a good race. And that's in whatever conditions. And I think it's highlighted in, in Kona. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very impressive that Christian was able to do that performance considering, I think he felt that he was out the race, um, you know, probably in the energy lab, he, it probably crossed his mind that ah, this this probably isn't going to be my day. Whereas Gustav, on the other hand, looked unbelievable um, all the way through. Um, he's a he's a study in perfect run form, isn't he? Yeah. He he didn't look like his run form changed from the first step to the last step. It was just metronomic and really beautiful to watch. And even even three miles, and we were we were saying it looks like Christian's working to run behind him, even though they're running the same pace. And, and all right, Christian always looks like he's working a bit harder than Gustav on the run, but that's how it played out. It was, it was Christian looked like he was trying to hang on to a pace that was just five seconds a mile too fast for him the whole way. And, you know, he, he essentially paid the price over the last few miles, didn't he? 
Mm. Imagine what these guys can do with another five, ten years of long distance experience. Yeah. You know, these guys are still long distance rookies. Like they, they've only put in a handful of races. Give them five, ten years in the long distance sport, and oh my goodness. <laughs> Very scary indeed. I wonder I wonder what would have happened if we'd have had the traditional Kona swim. In in every other year we've watched there's been Josh Amberger or, or somebody or two or three guys like Josh Amberger off the front. I would have expected Gustav and Christian to lose, like you said, at least two minutes to that front group in Kona. Maybe form says that Gustav would lose even more time than Christian. And it looks like for whatever reason, maybe it's the, the quarter from behind as well. Like you said, it's pushed people into making one huge pack together and they've stayed in. Is that the difference between Sam taking the win? Because Sam would have been, if not leading the swim, he would have been at the very, very front of, of any pack, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd have been fine. He'll, he'll swim with anyone that can swim at his pace. In fact, he swam 46.30 in the... In the unofficial swim the week four, but without an entry, didn't he? So we'd have been a minute and a half ahead of everybody in that event had he had an entry number. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's um, it's a really exciting time for our sport. It's a whole whole dynamic change. It's a whole a lot of the script has been totally ripped up. You know, now yeah. we're going to start seeing athletes at the age of in their early teens knowing that they're heading for a career straight into long distance. And that's something that we haven't seen before. The whole pathway was through um, through sprint, through Olympic distance, aim for the Olympics. And then once you've done your Olympic career, you do your, your honorary lap in long distance. But now people are going in, I want to create a long distance career. And you can do that in your early 20s now. And that's potentially, hopefully, if all goes well, that gives them 10 years, 15 years as a long distance expert and couple that with, you know, doing some 70.3s and aiming for the world champs in that. There's a lot of prize money available there. There's a lot of opportunities to race, especially in 70.3. And um, you can just be an unbelievable athlete at long distance. Um, so, yeah, there's it's interesting because the Norwegians aren't talking about it like that, are they? They're talking about being this hybrid of bouncing yeah. between the two. Whereas the likes of Sam Laidlaw, they're just going to be a pure expert in long distance and throw in some 70.3s as, as more racing experience and hopefully face some prize money. And obviously the PTO lures them into that, which is which is brilliant financially. Yeah. But yeah, the, it, it is, it's a changing sport. The landscape's definitely changing. And I'd imagine actually Sam's looking at that and thinking, this place to my advantage these guys are stepping down in distance, stepping up in distance, focusing on the Olympics one year. I'm focusing purely on becoming the best Ironman Kona racer that I can be. That's, you know, that's arguably an advantage for him as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So outside the top three, then we had Max Newman hung on for fourth place. A very impressive performance from him. Um, swam with the front pack, 4.11 on the bike and still ran a 2.40. So Again, a, a name that wasn't, I don't think, on many people's lips before the race. Um, had a very strong ride at the front of the at the front of the race, and I was expecting him to fade, and especially expecting him to fade even more after he had his little glory run for the first mile out of transition two. But no, fair play. A two forty marathon is absolutely legit. And what a shame for the guy. He goes seven forty four overall, runs a two forty marathon, and isn't even on the podium. It's it's a heartbreaker. And more consistent progress for Joe Skipper up into fifth place this year. Um, what can we say? 4.11 on the bike, 2.45 on the run, 7.54 overall, fifth place. Fantastic result for the guy. Um, noticeable honorary mention for doing a beer mile the day after Kona, which there's surely got to be one of the only the only back-to-back -back events anyone's ever done like that. But a great, great bike and, and run for him. Um, we knew he was in great shape from his race at Ironman Wales. Had he produced his 236 in Kona that he produced in Wales? Let's do the maths here. It would have been, what would that have been? 745? Actually, do you know what? That still doesn't even put him in fourth. 
that's mind blowing in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it looks, <laughs> it looks like Joe had, you know, a decent swimmer. He was surrounded by what's known as the old school Uber bikers. So it's not as if he was isolated at all. He had yeah. a very solid bike without the looks of overbiking it. You know, 411 for him seems about right when you look through the results. Um, although I don't quite know what his dynamic was. I don't know. It could have been quite surgy. Um, and if it was, then obviously that's not going to play. Um, that's not going to play well for his run. Mm. You know, Two forty-five running Kona off the back of a four eleven bike. Yeah, I don't think you can be disappointed with that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It could well be the end of the Uber bikers. You know, the whole narrative for the last five ten years has been you've got you've got these mythical Uber bikers, the Sebi Keenleys, the Lionel Sanders, Joe Skipper now goes into that. You know, there were always five or six, with can works, obviously, of Uber bikers, and we were all waiting for them to come right. to them. But the problem is, there's no such thing, because your Gustavs, your Sam Laidlaws, your Christian Blumenfels, all these guys can put out the same bike split, but they can either put out a 10-minute quicker swim, and they can match them on the run. So that there's no... You can be a very strong biker, but if you're not pairing it with an Uber swim and an Uber run, then you're out the game. So I actually think that even the term Uber biker, which is what we always heard in interviews, I think that may well disappear. It- I think so. Yeah, I totally agree. It's no good putting out a, a fast bike split now if you were four or five minutes down out of the swim and you're still four or five minutes down at the end of the bike having put out, I mean, you could have ridden 404 and still been six minutes down on Sam Laidlaw. Mm. which is just mind-blowing, isn't it, when you think of it like that? Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. When you, when you keep looking back at Sam's, <laughs> Sam's splits, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. Okay, we could, we could roll on down through the, through the men's list here. Notable mention, Seb Keenley, sixth place. That's him rounding out his career. Fantastic to see him do so well. I mean, what a great performance. There's no weakness there. He's gone 7.55. He's just been beaten by five stronger guys on the day. That could have been him winning it on any other year, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Patrick Langer was down in 10th. I heard he got a, a five-minute penalty on the bike and, again, knocked those five minutes off. He's up there in fifth. So he's he's in great shape, but just didn't have it on the day when it mattered. Cam Worth put together a really decent bike split, put a 409 out and then ran a 254. So he's there in 11th. And great to see Tim O'Donnell in 13th after his, you know, his well-documented health struggles and having had a heart attack. To see him come back and, I mean, God damn, he went eight oh two, and it only gets you thirteenth place. You've, you've, you've got to look at that in terms of pure physical performance and think, I'm just so happy for the guy that he's he's back exercising, and got faith back in his body. That's really awesome. Yeah, we'll see some um, some good content soon. I'm sure with Lionel Sanders, um, you know, the people's champ. Everyone everyone's always rooting for him and. Another another Coney year goes past with him not being able to crack crack the puzzle, which is um, really unfortunate. You know, fifty two minute swim, so he was he was surrounded by the people he wants to be surrounded by. Four sixteen bike, which would make sense if he's you know really looking after himself, looking for the quickest possible run, which is the narrative that he was putting out pre race. But then obviously a three seventeen run is uh, so that's essentially him walking. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what the cause is there, but he's surrounded by the best people with the Norwegians. So I reckon they'll, they'll crack it, but it's heartbreaking to see another year where he's not able to, to compete and not able to, to be running that last 10K. Lionel's an interesting character these days, isn't he? And that he, he's become the, the almost more by luck, I think, than design. He's become the sort of poster child of the YouTube vlogging Iron Man crossover generation and makes his living from that. And in some ways, it's possibly better for his brand for him to blow up in Kona and have a horrendous race because I think we can guess what's coming. The, the YouTube channel is going to be, you know, the story of heartbreak and Lionel looking distraught sitting on the sofa or whatever. That's that's 
going to play for the likes and and he's making his his living from doing that i'm not saying he doesn't want to race well but it, it's almost immaterial he was a he was a non-event at this race from the very start getting out in 52 minutes 40 if he can't bike with the camworths and joe skippers it's it's nowhere and even if he had looked after himself on the bike i mean what he's going to produce a 235 run and still be 12 minutes down it's yeah. heartbreaking isn't it it's a real reality check. It must be really hard for these guys that deep down, they must know that they can win Kona. You know, he's come second. This is his life goal, his life dream. He's invested thousands of hours, thousands of pounds into it. He's he's fixated on trying to win Kona. And this whole new generation has just come up and basically <laughs> written yeah. on a piece of paper, you cannot beat us. Move the goalposts 30 minutes down the road, essentially. Yeah. It's one thing to be looking at cracking eight hours in Kona, but it's a whole other thing to now be trying to find another 20 minutes to go 740. Because you've got to look at that and think next year's winner is going to have to put a 740 together. Because if Gustav fades, Sam's there, Lionel's there, Max Newman's there, Joe Skipper's there. It's, yeah, you've got a sniff of the podium if you're not in the 745 in Kona, which was literally unheard of a year ago. Yeah. And I think it's just going to tumble more and more now. You know, technology, training methods, and even just the the mentality. Every, in training, people are going to be aiming for the, you know, 740 and how, mm. how they achieve that. They're not thinking, how do I put in a plan to go sub-8? It's how do I get a plan to get as close to 730 as possible in Kona? Yeah. It's going to tumble. It's going to be scary. You know what we need, Chris? We need a return of the Kona wins. We need, we need one of those days where nobody breaks 430 on the bike. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. They're struggling to, to six foot swells on the on the swim wind from four different directions at once on the bike there we yeah. go we didn't see any meltdowns and as a fan i love to see a meltdown <laughs> side of the road head in hands crying i that's that's what i was watching it for and i thought sam had it in him but he's too good an athlete he let you down no meltdown from sam i love a meltdown in kona I think we got one from Christian, but he managed to make the finish line. From what I saw, he had about eight seconds of consciousness in him. He had a hook for the boys and then yeah. he was pretty much... Which is a sign yeah. of meltdown. Yeah. So yeah, well done to him. Yeah. <laughs> that counts yeah. as a meltdown. Fair play. <laughs> right, let's talk about things we noticed then watching this. There's a lot of a lot of different techniques, a lot of new tech, a lot of strange things going on. Like first up and notably... We've got to give a shout out to that rear, that rear wheel, the head rear wheel that was adorning Sam Laidlaw's bike for starters and several other pros. Um, I wonder whether that's played a part in the bike split here. We we had our eyebrows raised beforehand, but it's we can say this, can't we? It's certainly not any slower than any of the other wheels out there. I think there's going to be a measurable performance gain. It's got to be, hasn't there? Yeah, this isn't just a marketing thing, um, and obviously a lot of the. Uh, uh, you know, on the forums and that, people are freaking out about, oh, you can't do that, it's Kona, you'll get blown off your bike. But it's not. And I think there's enough data now to show that a rear deep, the deeper the wheel on the rear, the actually the more stable it can be. Um, yeah. And the more predictable it is and the more aero benefit and, you know, your weights on that part of the bike and there's no, um, there's no pivoting in terms of steering and all this. So, to be honest, if I was a pro, I'd even on the windiest of days, I'd be leaning towards that. Um, mm. And I, I do think it's more stable. So yeah, well done to Head for getting that out in time. Yeah, that was the that was the guerrilla marketing, I think, of the of the event, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there are a few other interesting points and small points, and this is always going to happen in Kona of the aero helmet versus non-aero or the aero helmet with no visor. Um, and just before this podcast, I was looking through some of my wind tunnel testing that I personally did um, pre-going to Kona. Um, and in the notes, it says that, so I was wearing um, an aero helmet. And if I taped up the vents, there are two major vents on the front. Um, and if I just tape them up with very basic tape, that was a three watt saving. So in the majority of my Ironmans that weren't in Kona, I'd take them up. But then I looked at getting rid of the visor and replacing with sunglasses. And that was a seven watt loss for me. 
And really? So, as much as that? Yeah, seven watts is considerable, considering, you know, in Kona, I'm only putting around 200 watts. So seven watts is it's more than measurable. Yeah. It's significant. So, 3%, isn't it? Is that right? Is my maths yeah. right on that? So it's interesting to think that all the pros are basically weighing that up. And I think if they back themselves of being in the pace line, then I think that they can probably give that five to 10 watts away, knowing that they're able to keep their core temperature down come runtime. But then you've got the guys who are chasing on, you know, call it the, I mean, Joe Skipper was one of those, but there'll be plenty of guys thinking I need every watt to get me towards the front of the race. And I'll be on my own and all these things. And therefore they can't be giving those seven watts away. Um, I'll tell you who didn't have a visor on. <laughs> this is amazing. It's Sam Laidlaw. Yeah. yeah. He, had, he had no visor and glasses, didn't he? So, mm. God damn, we can't give him another seven watts, boys. Come on. Yeah. And I do caveat this in saying that every, every wind tunnel test will be different for the individual. Absolutely. But I think there is enough data out there to suggest that there is a measurable loss um, for the majority of helmets and the majority of positions with the majority of visors and sunglasses. So there's lots of variables within that, but um, it is interesting to think that even at the pointiest of ends, they're weighing that up and there isn't a consensus. They're not all going for visors or they're not all going for sunglasses. Yeah. Another interesting point goes to the hydration and a lot of the front guys seem to be able to be putting a one litre bottle between the arms but not actually between the arms so now it's behind the arms and it's more towards the back of their um their headset so yeah so it's sticking out backwards isn't it from from where their elbows are but back towards the chest almost exactly so i think there'll be three reasons for that one is they're able to fit a one litre bottle there whereas if they're actually trying to fill the forearm space they might struggle with that um secondly i think they're just going narrower so Mm. forearm to forearm um and especially with the kind of new generation of tt extensions where it's uh, basically carbon plated um so there is actually no space to fill there um and then i think that there would be some aero benefit in filling the gap between the the headset and um and your hips so they're actually filling that gap. So it wouldn't surprise me whether it's quicker having it there. Yeah. And, you know, you're in Kona, you want the, as much liquid there as possible. So, yeah, I think the, those guys are innovating quite a lot. And that that isn't by chance. These guys are, uh, are testing. Uh, and they're testing the wind tunnel and they're testing in real world conditions. Um, so I'm not surprised if we see the age groupers um, move towards that. And if you can find a solution, then... Um, I'd get it tested and uh, yeah, try, try that for yourselves. We've got a similar thing, haven't we, with similar but different, I guess, in Gustav having whatever that was down the front of his tri-suit on his chest. It looked like looked like a big bottle. Was it there for cooling? Was it there for a, an aero fairing benefit? Was it a combination of the two? Have you heard any rumours on that? So um, Gustav definitely used that, but there were four or five others um oh okay also using it so it's not uh i think it's something that's been talked about and and tested again um to have so many of the guys using it my guess is that they're picking up at a stations um maybe their own bottle that was just a frozen block of ice overnight and hopefully by the time that they get there it's still cold enough got yeah my guess is that it would still be cold cold enough especially if it's like an insulated bottle um so yeah they'll chuck that down their front and slowly but surely that will be melting and dripping cold water onto their core but also acting as a bonus fairing of filling that gap um so yeah i think that that's again something that we'll see more and more um but i think it might be specific to the pros where they're able to pick this up Unless yeah. as an age grouper, you can maybe start with that and then discard of it once it heats up. Um, but again, great innovation. Um, yeah. yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, 100%. What else? What else have you noticed? Um, 
I think another point, and this kind of leads us towards our age group, um, our age group races, that that there are absolutely no guarantees. And Daniela Reef highlighted this. She went, you know, she went into it in amazing form, absolute favourite, and for whatever reason, isn't able to put the perfect race together on that day. And I think so many age groupers would have experienced that. So if you did go to Kona and you were disappointed with your performance, don't worry, you're not alone. Even many of the women and men at the front of the race weren't able to put in that performance that we all dream of. And this is what Kona does. You'll get 5% of the people that are really happy with their performance. And the rest of you just have to walk away with your head held high, knowing that you did one of the most incredible things in the first place of even qualifying for Kona. So don't be too disappointed. Um, and hopefully you'll get a chance to go back out there. But it's a, an incredibly hard race to get your best race performance out. And so I think a lot of people walk away disappointed with their own performance. But you've got to look at the bigger picture. It's it's very hard to, to know your perfect race. And I think it highlights for all of us that perfect prep doesn't necessarily mean perfect race perfect prep just enables you to control the controllables in the lead up to the race knowing that you've done everything in your control to get you on the start line in the fittest um, position that you could be in but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got you know you know the uh, the performance that we dream of so you've kind of got to split that out in two things you've got to do everything you can to prepare for a race but then on the start line, essentially leave that behind you and everyone is equal on the start line and you've got to fight to get to the finish line and you've got to be really clever with your decision making and you're still not then guaranteed your perfect race. So it's, you know, I hate the idea of all these athletes coming back with the Ironman blues and being too hard on themselves. Um, appreciate what you've done, appreciate the incredible journey you've been on to qualify for Kona and hopefully make it um, something that's motivating for the future. Look at 2023 and and have another go. You know, this, this doesn't mean that you're a bad athlete and Kona can make you feel like you've underperformed and that's not always the case. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we talk a lot about process over outcome and saying to athletes, just take care of everything you can because ultimately that's that's the real payback of this sport it's learning to put things in place so you can get the best out of yourself and if you don't get your best race at kona do you know what you have still managed to qualify for kona out of the 250,000 athletes that have raced worldwide you've managed to get yourself into the top thousand in your gender and get to go to the big island there are so many people never get to experience that that just by the virtue of having put the process together to go and do this, you've had a massive win. And like you say, if people get to go back again in the future, want to want to try and have a better race out there. Awesome. I'm all for going to do that, but it's really so important. Like you've said, to sit back and find the positives in what you've done and realize that like Kona is the Kona is the carry on the carry, the cherry on the cake. It's not the cake. It is the cherry. And you've got to enjoy the fact you spent a year, three years, five years building that cake in the first place. Mm. And I think a lot of athletes that may not have come back with their perfect performance from Kona, be open to the idea of this unleashing your potential when you go to your next long distance race. So leave leave Kona behind you and sign up to whatever it may be, an Ironman in, in Europe or, or wherever. And knowing that you've been on the start line in Kona and gathering all that experience, all that data, etc. I this is something that happened for me when I went to my more local races. I felt as if I was able to race more freely. I didn't have this. It felt like the chains were off. It's oh, who cares? I've done Kona now. Now I can fully explore what my potential is in more more tepid conditions, and so. You know, thinking of our athletes, and uh, I'm going to mention David in particular, I feel that 
around the corner, 2023, 2024, if he sticks to long distance and, and chasing some ambitious goals, I really wouldn't be surprised if there's this whole other level of performance that he may not feel he has right now because, you know, it's it's really difficult to be thinking in those terms post incredibly difficult race in Kona. But there's this whole other level that you can achieve once those shackles are off. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd like to think, and it might may well be the same for Emma as well. So um, yeah, may, maybe you want to talk about these two performances, Rob, as you've guided them through um, their TOA experience up to now, and you must be like an incredibly proud dad being <laughs> yeah. two of your two of your uh, youngsters fly the nest and uh, make us all proud and that's the thing they, they've made everyone at team oxygen like really proud not just the coaches but i think the other athletes they've they've galvanized us they've made us show you know they've shown what's possible and they've been incredibly humble about it and hopefully they'll share their experience in more detail with us but you know i've, I've been incredibly proud of with both of them it's it's not easy going out there with the pressure um you know, mm. financial pressure there's performance pressure there's all of it and they've made us proud so yeah what did you think? well the, the first thing is you're right to identify the fact that they've got no idea the impact that they've had on the rest of the teammates we can see within within the group within the communications we've had how inspired people are and two people racing kona has probably kicked 10 serious campaigns for Kona off for next year from people who've looked at this and gone, I thought I wanted this before. Now I know that I really want it. I mean, we know how many messages and emails we've had through from people saying, right, guys, what do we do? How do we map this out? I'm I'm, I'm totally 100% in for this. And it's as a massive byproduct of seeing people that they know having achieved it already. And I'm sure this plays out in every club and in every, you know, in every triathlete across the country who maybe knows someone who's gone and done it. So that's the real payback that Dave and Emma don't see is there's this aspect of them and their performance and how well they've prepared, but there's this much bigger knock-on effect into the wider community of how it then influences other people and their behavior and actions for the next year, two years, three years, who knows? So that in itself is amazing. The, the two of them are such hard workers. You know, they, I remember being at the finish line of Ironman UK when Emma came over and she'd lost track of the results and didn't know that she'd won her age group even when I saw her and I had to sit her down and, you know, she was, she was cold. She'd been rained on. She couldn't find a jacket. And I was saying to her, we need to have the conversation about this. You've, you've won your age group and that means you've qualified for Kona if you want to go. And at the time she couldn't hold a cup of tea because her hand was shaking so much with the cold. And it was like this whole extra level of, <laughs> of, of stuff she didn't need right now. She needed a warm jacket and someone to help her get some tea inside. Her. But, you know, she went so well. She ran 325 in the female 50 age group at Ironman UK to qualify for Kona nobody knows how they're going to respond to the heat and humidity out there for her to turn out a 344 run out in Kona and be a handful of seconds away from first Brit in her age group and I think she was 22nd overall in her age group amazing it's just you know she swam as fast in Kona as she did at Ironman UK and she had no wetsuit on this time I think she was an hour faster on the bike in Kona than she was at Ironman UK and then turned out a 3.44. I think Andy told me she passed something like, I can't remember now, 50, 70 people on the run. I just love putting myself in her mindset and thinking, what must it feel like to run through the field, to put a, to put a 3.45 together in, a, in an age group race when everyone else is falling apart in the lava field? Mm. Just astonishing, you know? So, yeah, m- massive respect to... To Emma for that and I had a conversation with her um, before she flew out and I was struck by how humble she was um, you know not a stroke of arrogance um, which you know would understandably be very easy to fall into that but she seemed very open to suggestions which I think as an athlete is something that 
is really important. You've got to be open to new ideas as athletes or as coaches, to be honest. We don't we don't know it all and we might know a lot and you know you've got a huge amount of experience as an athlete, but being open-minded to suggestions is a massive part of that. And I think Emma really was that. Um, and same same with David. They, they were both open to preparing themselves through methods that aren't comfortable and you know, no one wants to be doing saunas or hot bath or, you know, getting your core temperature up and then going into a hot bath or cycling with, you know, essentially in a greenhouse, all these things, it's, it's really uncomfortable. And they were open to the idea of doing it and, and they ticked those boxes. And to give you an idea, David flew out to Kona, I believe he landed on the Tuesday. He was racing Thursday morning. Yeah. That's not out of design. That's out of him being a true age grouper who doesn't have the luxury of, you know, training full time and taking three weeks off, off work. He, he wasn't able to get there earlier due to work. So, you know, he's, he's in the Cotswolds um, cycling in his, in his greenhouse, um, at extreme temperatures. Um, but I really do think that he, he's made us proud. Um, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. He swam a one twenty one four minute transition. Um, biked a six hours 10 and then ran a 4.22. So when you put that into consideration, you know. Solid day, yeah. The picture, landing on a Tuesday, putting that out on a Thursday as your first World Championships off the back of another Ironman this year. He's got a lot going on in life with travel and all these things. Um, that's a very, very solid start. Um, yeah very solid debut let's say at, at Kona um, and anyone that's thinking at home I can do that I believe you you can do that but the point is David did do that and he he's done it and to come back you know back to the UK he, their memories for life yeah racing at the highest level at an age grouper um, so yeah well done to Emma and David you can keep those memories forever please do share as much of your experience with all the other athletes um, that you can. We always talk about, you know, the front of the race being the most inspirational, uh, the Norwegians, the Sam Laidlaws of this world. And they are, they, they, the more they push the boundaries, they pull us along with us. But David and Emma are so much more relatable to all of us. Um, that The more you can share that experience with the rest of the athletes, I think the more, the more conversation it has to helping other people reach their goal, which might not be Kona. It might just be finishing their first long distance or 70.3, whatever it may be. But you guys have been through an incredible process of having this crazy dream and, and you've got there. So show us the way, please. Brilliant. Love it, mate. Love it. But listen, I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up our, uh, wrap up our podcast for today, man. Thank you very much for coming on and joining us. I'm looking forward to, to having you as part of the podcasting team going forwards. And I can't overstress this. You've made such a great contribution to the team since you've joined us, the way you've inspired the athletes and the way you've added to people's experiences with our high performance program has been, has been just amazing. So I'm, I'm loving having you as a more and more integrated part of our team. And I think the podcast listeners are going to really benefit from the, the benefit of your wisdom as well going forwards, mate. No, it's very mutual. And yeah, thanks to all the listeners for um, for joining and joining us for this last hour or so. And um, yeah, hopefully we can touch on some subjects that are really going to benefit their, their training, their racing um, through the dif different phases of training. Um, so yeah, look forward to um, talking to you again very soon, Rob. And as we've said there during our interview, it was great to see the, the almost guerrilla marketing from Precision Fuel and Hydration out there by being out there and giving bottles and product to athletes. I don't know what their, what their deal was with people, whether they were just giving away free bottles or whether there were, I, I suspect my feeling is there were people out there using Precision Fuel and Hydration gels, fuel, chews, and specifically the electrolytes because they have what I consider to be the best product out there on the market for helping people race well out in Kona. And like I said, there were, uh, there were athletes like Fenella Langridge who had um, 
Um, she had stickers all over her helmet. There was Sam Appleton had stickers all over his helmet. They're well-known sponsored athletes at PFH, but there were lots of other athletes who had PFH bottles on their bikes, which, I mean, maybe you, you might not know that if you didn't recognize the branding, but it's one of those things when you're in the know, you see that black bottle with the, with a multicolored stripe at the end of it, and you know what's in those bottles. So, that's great work. We've seen them at the PTO races. They are a company that's going places. And it's so great to see. I, I met Andy Blow from PFH at the very first Ironman UK where we were recording the podcast, which was back in, I think, 2015 now. Got on with the guy like a house on fire. Him and his company, they're all just great people and the hard workers. And they've made a fantastic product that really, really helps people out. And that's the key thing for me. It's the best product on the market that solves an absolute real problem that can be catastrophic for your training and racing, like literally catastrophic for your racing in the heat if you haven't taken care of your electrolyte intake. So it was fantastic to see them out there all over the coverage in Kona. Um, remember, you can use the code OA22 for 15% off your first order, precisionfuelandhydration.com. Get over there and fill your boots. Get some electrolytes for winter training. It'll help you avoid the cramps on the bike and on the treadmill as you're training indoors. And it'll also help you, most importantly, to stay hydrated. It's not just about liquid. It's having about liquid with the right concentration of sodium and potassium in it for you and your body shape. So there's a link in the show notes for you to book a call with the PFNH team if you want to chat to them. There's also a link there direct to their website. You can take their fuel and hydration planner and it'll give you a really good lead to how many grams of sodium and potassium you need and how many grams of carbohydrate you need for the body type you've got and the racing that you're doing. And also the other thing to, to mention there is if you have been inspired listening to our stories of racing out in Kona and you've been inspired to think, right, this is the year that I am going to go for either a Kona qualification or it is the year I'm going to try my first Ironman or try my first 70.3 and you don't know where to start, then get in contact with us and we'll see if we can help you out. There's also a link in the show notes to book a call with me and the team to find out if you're the kind of athlete that would thrive within Team Oxygen Addict. We have got tons of experience helping athletes of all backgrounds, all ages, genders, body shape, sizes, and helping them achieve the dreams by completing that first 70.3 or iron distance race, or even ultra marathon, gravel race, ultra distance sportif. It's all in endurance coaching these days. So if you're looking for expert advice to, you know, help you achieve a dream that feels unobtainable for you at the time the first thing to say is it almost certainly isn't unobtainable for you with the right advice if you're willing to do the work so you can pop over to our website at teamoxygenetic.com and have a read of the information on there and then if you're interested in exploring options of coaching we've got our coaching options listed on the site and you can book a call with us direct from the link in the show notes or if you want just drop us an email at help at oxygenaddict.com Okay, guys. So listen, thanks very much for listening. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you've enjoyed the Kona coverage. Until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to me and Coach Chris Palfreman on the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. See ya. See ya.